You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Breaking details for you tonight about serious allegations involving threats on the Premier's life. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria this evening. Keith, this involves the Premier and Steve Thompson, the new Speaker of the House. Yeah, details still a little sketchy, Chris, but this seems to have occurred in the middle of the election campaign. So Paula Janikova, a woman from Kelowna, has been charged with uttering threats to cause the death or bodily harm against uh, Christy Clark and Steve Thompson, now the, the legislature speaker, just elected on Thursday. Uh, the, again, the threats are alleged to have occurred on or about April 30th in Kelowna. So that was smack dab in the middle of the election campaign. A special prosecutor has approved the charge. Uh, again, a special prosecutor appointed when and the, some of the individuals involved in, in the matter may be someone of high public interest, such as politicians in the case here, Christy Clark and Steve Thompson, being the alleged uh, uh, potential victims of these threats of death or bodily harm. Again, her first court appearance, Paula Janikova, will be on Friday at the uh, Kelowna Provincial Courthouse. Keith, uh, as you know, sadly, it's, a, it's kind of a part of doing business for some politicians. Mm -hmm. Threats against them are not unheard of. But this one seems different. It does seem to everyone over here at the legislature. I know there are a number of people who are barred from entering the legislative grounds. A lot of people don't know that, but their photos are posted. Uh, security personnel are aware of uh, their presence potentially. Uh, you recall those uh, those candidates uh, would be uh, terrorists, uh, but their photos, of course, were posted as well. Uh, guards being on the alert for people who have uttered threats against other politicians. So it's unclear why this merited a special prosecutor or indeed the laying of this potentially very serious charge against this woman. Thanks very much. We'll uh, have more coverage, obviously, on Friday. That's Keith Baldry in Victoria. Now some breaking news near Karameos. There's a wildfire burning near Coston. You may have seen some of this footage at 5. It's about 30 hectares right now, considered out of control. 26 firefighters are battling the flames, along with five fixed-wing aircraft and one helicopter. There are buildings in the area, and so far one structure, as you saw there, has been destroyed. So far, the cause of this fire is under investigation. Our homes can't wait! Our homes can't wait! Activists storm a council meeting at Vancouver City Hall. Today, protesters occupying council chambers, demanding more action from the city to end homelessness. Nadia Stewart has more on the groups involved and what they want. We have to ask for, for, for floors in our buildings that don't fall through the floor when we try to take a bath. It's come to that. It is the latest demonstration by some of Vancouver's most frustrated sorry, residents. And, and anything I can afford is usually like a, probably a slumlord. And that's not the way I want to live with my daughter. Vancouver's city council has failed the test. They have turned Canada, BC, and Vancouver into a really and non-civic society. Councillors left the chambers while about a dozen protesters stormed in just before noon Tuesday. All of them angry. Can I just hand this to you? About a B.C. Supreme Court injunction to evict nearly 50 people living in the so-called 10-year tent city at 950 Main Street. The city of Vancouver now leasing the land to Luma's Native Housing Society. It's trying to pass the buck off to Luma Housing and let Luma Housing take the heat. Luma's plan is to build 26 housing units, but only one third would actually be affordable for those here. Our homes can't wait. 
Protesters are now calling for fully funded community housing at 58 West Hastings and 105 Kiefer Streets. Expropriation of the Balmoral Hotel, a promise that 10 cities won't be harassed and that the city will step up by law enforcement in SROs. People are going to die of homelessness. They are dying of homelessness. Somebody has to do something now, starting now. A repeated demand from a group of people who insist their voices still aren't being heard. Nadia Stork, Global News. A lot of concern tonight over a coyote encounter in Surrey that could have had serious consequences. Last, uh, last night, witnesses say they saw a coyote stalking a young child coming dangerously close when the little girl fell. Our Jill Bennett explains what happened and what conservation officials say we should do to avoid contact, Jill. Chris, this area next to the elementary school and several homes is where conservation officers are focusing their effort, looking for that coyote they say has lost its fear of humans. This conservation officer is searching for a coyote that ran onto the Mary Jane Shannon Elementary School grounds Monday evening. Initial reports from witnesses suggested the animal attacked a four-year-old girl. I jumped out of the car and I started screaming and swearing at that coyote and he Finally, he moved away a bit, but he had her right down to the ground, and then he's moved away. I screamed at him some more. He moved a little bit further, and I just kept screaming. Finally, he moved away. But further investigation by the BC Conservation Service finds that's not exactly what happened. Initially, it was reported to be that the, the coyote attacked the girl, but that's incorrect. What happened, the coyote approached the two, uh, the children ran away, and the girl fell down, and it was thought that she was bitten, but uh, it's determined that uh, she never was bitten. Still, the coyote appeared to have very little fear of people, and that's raising concerns for some. The school district has sent a letter home for parents. On the sheet going home today with uh, students to the parents uh, is a, a list of uh, safety tips, uh, making loud noises and uh, uh, being in groups. Very much concerned, but I'm happy that all. Uh, the school is about to end. I was really scared that they were going to shoot the coyote. So I didn't want to see it. There are signs reminding people how to act around coyotes, but it's possible in this case someone fed the animal. We're never uh, feeding coyotes, and every time we see a coyote, we make sure that we uh, we, we put uh, fear into them, that you know, and, and put them on the put the run on to them because they they get they get used to uh, uh, humans, and then they start to you know become braver. Conservation officers say in this type of scenario, trapping and relocating a coyote simply doesn't work. So if this animal is spotted, it will be shot and killed. Chris? All right. Thank you, Jill. Jill Bennett in Surrey for us today. After a chilling attempt at a daytime hit on the weekend, another scary situation unfolding in Surrey overnight. <laughs> The emergency response team called out just after 10 o'clock for reports of gunfire inside a home in the Bridgeview neighborhood. Two men were inside the home when officers went in. Both men were arrested. One of them sustained a serious but non-life-threatening head injury. I'm, I'm certainly, uh, I can tell you that we've been in this neighborhood in the past uh, and we've dealt with uh, this particular house in the past, but the individual that uh, has an injury, I'm not certain if he's known to police or the other occupants, but uh, uh, we have uh, dealt with people here before. Uh, hoping to get them in here and the owner or whoever it is gets them out of that house and gets it shut down and cleaned up. It's been nothing in this community. It's, 
we want to get our peaceful community back again. If you've ever been caught in a traffic jam on the Sea to Sky Highway, you know you can sit there sometimes for hours as emergency crews clean up after an accident. But a new report looking at the impact of those unplanned closures says we can do a lot better. Ted Chernecki joins us now with some key recommendations to get people moving sooner. Ted. Yeah, Chris, many of us have been here before when the traffic is stopped and we're patient and we're kind of wondering, is this really necessary? And if it is necessary, does it necessarily have to be this long? These are the questions the municipality of Whistler wanted answered, so it hired a consultant to find out. Over a five-year period, up to April last year, the Sea to Sky had unplanned closures 396 times, and not one of them was related to a rock slide. On average, each major closure lasted 1.77 hours. Of course, there's an economic loss associated with that. There's an opportunity cost associated with that. When this is the only practical way in and out of Whistler, a road closure could even go so far as to bankrupt any one of many special events. I've worked several events and a different of things that have, because of accidents and things being shut down, people haven't been able to get to the events they need to get to or the, yeah. the plans that they had. BC is famous for shutting down highways. Take, for example, last May's long weekend when a truck carrying at least some toxic chemicals caught fire. The Coquihalla was shut down in both directions for 24 hours, forcing everyone to take the long and winding road through the Fraser Canyon. As the Sea to Sky study points out, in some states, federal laws stipulate that major highways must be reopened within 90 minutes or less. They do have that 90-minute key performance indicator. The roads can't be closed any longer than that. So there were actually a lot of things that uh, our experts found uh, that the western states are doing that we ought to be doing here. Like having collision analysts located closer to known crash zones. Often the long delays are due to simply waiting for an expert to arrive from the lower mainland. Some of the more uh, simple accidents should be moved aside and they should have at least one lane traffic going back and forth. It's the only highway, so yes, it should be improved. So the question is, what happens now? And of course, this is just a report, but it goes to the Ministry of Transportation. And the municipality hopes to, at the very least, get some kind of a measuring stick so that the next time this happens, or every time it happens over the course of a year, they can at least tell if it was unnecessarily long or not. Chris? All right, thanks very much, Ted. Ted Chernecki on the Sea to Sky. An unexpected jolt for electric car drivers in Vancouver. City Council passing a motion today that will see fees implemented for those electric charging stations. Grace Key is live with more on this. And Grace, this is actually designed to help make it easier for people to find an open charger. Yeah, the city really wants to try and get that turnover going here. So we are in the City Hall parking lot. Behind me, you've got those three uh, free charging stations. We did keep our eye on a few of the cars that were plugged in here today just to see how long they stayed. It's one in the afternoon, and we found these three electric vehicles plugged into a city-owned charging station at City Hall. Two of them showed they were no longer charging. Minutes turned into hours as drivers, including this Tesla, looked for a spot. To help encourage turnover, the city will soon start charging drivers who plug in to city-owned EV charging stations. 
cost me less at home to charge, pay $2, that's a little bit too much. Our charging stations are really heavily used and uh, we're finding there's a lot of congestion and so people aren't, aren't able to access the stations and so really our goal is to create turnover. There are 16 city-owned and operated EV charging stations. Drivers will soon be paying the meter parking rate plus $2 an hour to plug in and $16 an hour for a DC fast charger. Drivers will actually be charged by the minute. The president of the Vancouver Electric Vehicle Association approves of the plan and doesn't believe this is a cash grab. You're charging, fine, you're off shopping, whatever, and you don't think about it that much, right? Uh, but the fact is somebody else may need that charging station. Latest numbers from ICBC show there were 3,200 electric cars and 36,000 hybrid vehicles at the end of 2015. The city says the number of electric vehicles has increased more than 60% last year. The charging stations were initially free to encourage more EV use. Now, the city says the next step is to get more of those charging stations out there. They really want to encourage people as well to charge at home and at the workplace. Today, City Council also passed a pilot project that will allow those uh, homeowners or businesses who don't have access to off-street parking to install curbside EV charges. By the way, those three cars that we showed you earlier, we did keep an eye on them. They were parked here from, you know, at least from by the time that we got here, we noticed maybe three, four hours before they left. We did speak with one of the city officials. They said, you know, tops maybe an hour for them to, to charge enough that one would need for the day. And then really they should be out of here. All right. Well, I think the cost is going to move them along a little quicker now. Thanks very much, Grace mm -hmm. Key reporting near uh, City Hall. Well, it's a big problem in most cities, trash cans overflowing with coffee cups, styrofoam containers, and other single-use items. Now, in an effort to reach its goal of becoming the greenest city in the world by 2020, Vancouver is taking steps to reduce that waste from our landfills. Single-use items cost Vancouver taxpayers about $2.5 million a year to collect from public waste bins and to clean up as litter. Now the city wants to create a made-in-Vancouver solution to the problem. Well, it's about public choices. I mean, all of these things have developed based on making it easier for the public to uh, have alternatives. And so what we're trying to do is find, find out what we can do with the businesses, with public, that would make it a little bit easier for them to select an alternative that is different than what they're using now, something that has less long-term impact. Party crashers take the air out of the birthday balloon for a three-year-old and his family. A bizarre story out of Richmond tonight, where it appears two uninvited guests showed up to the toddler's birthday party, helping themselves to food, even taking a picture in the photo booth. What the pair told the child's parents when they were confronted in just over a minute. Onboard cameras capture the moment a city bus in Detroit crashes through the wall of a building. What caused this terrifying accident just ahead on the news hour? And a salmonella outbreak linked to breaded chicken products. What health officials say is the key to avoiding illness. That's also coming up a little later. Now, we've seen party crashers in a Hollywood movie, even at the White House. But a recent incident in Richmond has parents on edge. As John Wall reports, two people who showed up uninvited to a three-year-old's party have set off a social media firestorm. Happy birthday to you. There was a Paw Patrol cake. A special visit from their favorite character. Even a photo booth. Brendan Colyong's third birthday party had it all, including two uninvited guests. 
we were standing side by side in front of the photo booth looking at these two people. And we're like, who are these people? <laughs> the toddler party at the city center community center in Richmond crashed by strangers when confronted quick with a fake answer. If you really didn't know, like, I won't blame you for it, but you lied to her faces twice, saying that you were with family. After one more photo, the pair left, but not without some food. The family who rented out the private room speaking out, saying in hindsight it could have been a lot worse. There are so many kids, and a lot of parents feel that it's a safe environment, so they just kind of let their kids play. Luckily, they were only interested in the food and the photo and not any of the kids, and they didn't have any bad intentions. For many, a toddler party is taking it to the next level. I think it's um, really rude to use the resources that they paid for. Even people who admit to crashing. I don't want anyone there, and it would be very exciting. Say it's crossing a line. That's a little bit too much, I think. You know you make me want to So how is this different than the harmless crashing captured in this Hollywood movie? There seems to be something different than the proverbial kind of wedding crasher, right? Because here we're talking about kids, and there is a vulnerability. The family now being told the pair may have crashed other kid parties in the past. Happy birthday to you. Brendan's family using his birthday wish, hoping it's their last. John Hua, Global News. A demolition project takes a bizarre turn. The questions and health concerns after this tree did what the wrecking ball couldn't. And why Royal Bank has to pay back millions of dollars to its clients and how to find out if you qualify right after a break. Houses are being demolished all over Metro Vancouver to make way for redevelopment. But residents in one Surrey neighborhood are angry tonight about a demo that's turned into a nightmare and might even be a health hazard. Tanya Beja reports. This moron. The buzz of the chainsaw sounded the alarm for neighbors. I could tell it wasn't going well. They were arguing. Just one cause for concern as landscapers tackled the tree. I went upstairs and I told my girlfriend, get out of the house, get out of the house, because they didn't know, they didn't know which way it was going to fall. The tree crushed the home on the same Surrey property. The owners had a permit to cut it down. How do you put a tree into a house? It's allowed to. We're talking with the WorkSafe people. Yeah. You're, um, you're allowed to put a tree into a house? Yeah. WorkSafe BC says that's not the case and has issued a stop work order. Although the home was slated for demolition, the owners didn't remove all the asbestos first. WorkSafe BC continues to inspect the site and intends to hold the landscaping company, the homeowner and the building contractor responsible for all potential violations of the Workers' Compensation Act and the Occupational Health and Safety Regulation. The people that cut these trees know what they're doing. They know how to cut trees in tight areas to fall in the way. And they don't cut them like that. They get up to the top of the tree and they cut them, they cut them rung by rung by rung so they do short pieces so that those fall to the ground and there's no great big whap. You look at the space and say, where were you going to fall it? Like, where was it going to go? The contractor says they had nothing to do with the felling, but won't disclose the name of the landscapers. Neighbors now questioning their credentials. Ten minutes later, all the equipment is wrapped, they're gone. <laughs> so they, they just hightailed it out of here, eh? Tanya Beja, Global News. 
Tens of thousands of RBC customers are getting an unexpected bonus. Our Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has the details on a deal to give them back some of their own money. I know financial experts say it's a precedent-setting decision and it's about to get bigger. Thanks, Chris. The Royal Bank of Canada has agreed to pay back almost $22 million to clients who were overcharged fees on mutual funds and investments. The compensation is part of a no-contest settlement approved by the Ontario Securities Commission with RBC Dominion Securities, Royal Mutual Funds and RBC Phillips Hager and North. It comes after allegations about flaws in RBC systems of controls and supervision, which resulted in some clients paying excess fees that were not detected or corrected in a timely manner. More than 50,000 customer accounts were overcharged dating back to 2005. RBC discovered the problem and reported it to the Ontario Securities Commission in February 2015. RBC has agreed to reimburse clients a total of more than $21,800,000. The OSC found no evidence of dishonest conduct by RBC, which is not alone in this type of settlement. $22 million for a bank that makes billions of dollars is hardly going to be noticed. But I think what does get noticed is their reputation. Now, they brought this forward to the Ontario Securities Commission, the problem of charging their clients too much money when they bought a mutual fund. That's a problem. Yeah, the penalty's $22 million, but I think it puts uh, you know, every client sort of on watch at this point. And it's part of a bigger problem for the whole industry. All five Canadian banks have been caught in this problem. Now, if you bought a mutual fund through RBC or an affiliated company between 2005 and last year, you'll want to ask them if you are entitled to compensation. Meantime, RBC has also paid $925,000 to advance the Ontario Securities Commission's mandate of protecting investors, plus another 50000 towards the cost of the OSC investigation. Additional controls and supervision have been implemented to prevent something like this from happening again. And if you a consumer issue for me. There's my information. You can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Good information. Thanks very much, Ann. A massive cyber attack hits governments and companies around the world. It's very fast spreading. Hackers holding computer systems hostage and how you can protect yourself. And chaos underground. A subway derailment in New York City leaves dozens injured. Passengers on a New York subway train cough and hack from smoke after two cars derailed near a station in Harlem, scraping the side of the tunnel wall. The accident injured more than 30 people, sending many to hospital and caused massive system-wide delays. Investigators say the train's emergency brakes were activated, but they still aren't sure why. Another sobering reminder tonight of how easily malicious computer programs can bring business grinding to a halt. A new outbreak of data scrambling software caused disruption across the world today, not long after a similar attack in May. Tom Costello reports. 
Rolling across the globe today, another anonymous ransomware attack, bringing Ukraine's main power provider to a halt, shutting down Russian banks, European businesses, even a U.S. drug giant. It's very fast spreading. We're seeing the Ukraine um, initially, the U.S., in India, in the U.K., and uh, other countries as, they're, as they're, you know, the worm is spreading around. Among today's targets, pharmaceutical maker Merck, the world's largest container shipping company, Maersk, even the Chernobyl nuclear plants, which to manual monitoring to protect against attack. This is a highly profitable business. You know, we have to remember that organized cybercrime totals up to almost $445 billion on an annual basis. U.S. government security experts say this attack, called Petya, is similar to last month's WannaCry attack that was based on hacking methods used by the NSA then released by hackers. Exploiting vulnerabilities in the Windows operating system, encrypting data, and holding it all for ransom, usually paid in bitcoins. They don't have to worry about what data you have. They only need to care about the fact that you care about your data. And you'll pay up. You care about your data, it's valuable to you, and therefore the attack applies to nearly anyone globally. What can all of us do to protect ourselves? Use long, complicated passwords mixing letters, numbers, and symbols. Keep your operating system and antivirus software up to date. Regularly back up your computer on an external drive and don't click on suspicious emails or web links. But tonight, experts say even if victims pay a ransom, they may not regain access to their data. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. Some shocking footage out of Detroit today of a violent crash between a bus and an SUV that runs a stop sign. The force of the crash causes severe damage to both vehicles and sends the bus through a brick wall. The view from inside the bus shows the driver being thrown from his seat. The video blocked to protect his privacy. Five people in total were injured in the crash. And here's some fascinating time-lapse video of the launch of the British Navy's largest and most powerful ship from its home port in Scotland. HMS Queen Elizabeth is three times the length of a football field and weighs 65,000 tons. They had to wait for high tide to get it through a very narrow gate, and even with that, there was just a half meter between the bottom of the ship and the seabed. This maneuver took several hours. In health news tonight, officials are warning Canadians about preparing frozen chicken products after an outbreak of salmonella poisoning. Seven people across four provinces, including one in B.C., have been sickened by salmonella linked to frozen breaded chicken products. Two people have been hospitalized. No brands are being named, but the public health agency is reminding people that any chicken should be cooked to an internal temperature of 74 degrees Celsius. That's 165 degrees Fahrenheit. That outbreak of E. coli in flour products appears to be over. But Health Canada still has a warning for Canadians tonight. Officials began recalling Robin Hood brand flour in March. There have been 30 reported illnesses across Canada, but none since April. And so the Canadian Food Inspection Agency is winding down its investigation. But still, Health Canada is warning people against eating raw cookie dough saying it's not safe to eat any product that contains uncooked flour. And new research into acupuncture has come up with some mixed results. One Chinese study found that six weeks of acupuncture improved urinary incontinence in women. The benefits continued six months later, and there were few side effects. 
But a second study found that acupuncture did not help induce ovulation in women struggling with infertility. A new battle of the sexes in tennis. What John McEnroe says about Serena Williams and why he's not apologizing. And a traffic stop in Florida that definitely didn't go as the officer planned. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A routine traffic stop in Florida turns into a bit of a comedy. That's coming up right after the forecast. Caught on camera, another gorgeous view of sunshine and our coast. And Beautiful. what a heavenly place this is to live. That's right. Paradise, that's for sure. Look at that out over the water. You can see lots of people out on the water. Still a little bit of a breeze there. You can see the ripples in the water, but a beautiful day. 20 degrees was our high for today, just slightly below our average for 21 degrees. Uh, those of you in the interior had temperatures moderate by a good 3 to 4 degrees today. Much more comfortable for you there. The hot spots on this map, Lillooet and Trail at 31 degrees, but the hot spot for the third day in a row was Ashcroft. Third day hot spot across Canada. They hit uh, 31.0 degrees. These ones were just slightly below 31. One, but we average it up on this map. Violent storms hit Edmonton last night around 11 p.m. They had uh, close to 800 calls about downed trees. This one uprooting the tree significantly. Uh, just incredible pictures coming in on Twitter. And this one showing the uh, hail close to inch uh, size uh, in diameter. And that was in St. Albert, which is just north of Edmonton. But basically it hit the Edmonton area. And we are also contending with another upper level low that's rolling through Edmonton and the BC Peace River area. Significant rain good 20 to 25 millimeters there in the fort nelson region as well that will continue overnight before shifting down to the south so areas like valemont and into the east columbia region you'll feel the effects of that tomorrow however it will ease off to just a chance of showers whereas the rest of the province we continue with sunshine and summer-like weather and temperatures just comfortable near seasonal for most areas however across the north slightly above seasonal smithers hitting 24 degrees same for fort st or prince george uh, seasonal would be about 20, 21 degrees. Down through the south, a little warmer than today. 27 degrees in Kelowna. Kamloops should hit 30 degrees. There's the showers that will push into Valmont and Golden. Uh, those of you in the West Columbia region into Revelstoke and down through Cranbrook will see a fair amount of cloud cover, but should be dry in your area. We'll see cloud cover across much of the south coast tomorrow morning, similar to what we saw today, but then it will ease off to mainly sunny skies. 21 to 24 degrees, perfect conditions for this time of year. And our five-day forecast shows similar conditions right through until the end of the week. Now, so far, your long weekend looks dry, but we are expecting more cloud cover uh, and potentially cooler temperatures as we head into the latter part of the weekend. Two gentlemen celebrating birthdays tonight, Art Liebich turning 102 and Bill Giles turning 100 today. And our weather window from Tina Taphouse, another shot of the sunset from Sunday night because it was so spectacular. And this one from my hometown in Crescent Beach. Mm-hmm, beautiful shot. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. A Miami sheriff's deputy is probably still taking a lot of ribbing from his fellow officers over this dash cam video. The officer, who's not being named, pulled over a vehicle for a routine traffic stop, but apparently forgot to put his cruiser in park. By the time he realized it, the car was a spirited sprint away. Hold on.
luckily he was able to catch the cruiser before it hit anything or anyone and even had a lighthearted chat about it with the driver he pulled over. Never happened before, but thank God. Yeah, man. I, <laughs> I have both of them. All right, you guys got an idea? I'll get you out of here. All right. Good on them for sticking around. Tennis legend John McEnroe has never been shy about saying what's on his mind, but some say this time he went too far. A huge social media debate has erupted over his comments about a woman many people think is the greatest player of all time, of either gender. A heated match off the court. Former tennis pro John McEnroe raising eyebrows in an interview with NPR, questioning whether Serena Williams is as good as the guys. Best female player ever, no question. Why say female player? Well, because if she was a, if she played the men's circuit, she'd be like 700 in the world. You think so? Yeah. That doesn't mean I don't think Serena's like an incredible player. I do. Still, Williams fired back, tweeting, Dear John, I adore and respect you, but please, please keep me out of your statements that are not factually based. Serena Williams has scored 23 Grand Slam singles titles, more than any other player in the open era, male or female. She's won 10 of them since she was 30. That's incredible. Who else has that kind of longevity and that kind of winning? LeBron James? No. Tiger Woods? No. John McEnroe? No. No one except Serena. She won her last one in January at the Australian Open while eight weeks pregnant. Today, showing off that pregnant belly on the cover of Vanity Fair. This isn't the first time Williams has had to defend her accomplishments. In December, she addressed what her fans call a double standard on ESPN's The Undefeated. If I were a man, I would have 100% been considered the greatest ever um, long time ago. And in March, GQ came under fire for posting this photo of Roger Federer, calling him the greatest tennis player of all time. Fans quickly responded, writing, that's not Serena. As for McEnroe, he didn't step down on CBS this morning. Would you like to apologize? Uh, no. He admits Serena Williams has earned her place as a tennis great, something her fans already knew. Morgan Radford, NBC News, New York. She is special, no doubt. Oh, incredible. One of the last one pregnant, as they pointed out in the report. I would like, I would like to see uh, her against a male tennis player, because I think she can give anybody a run. Yeah, yeah. 700. It would be Decent. fun to see. Okay, so um, look who ran into town for tomorrow night's Harry Jerome track meet. Uh, any chance I get, love coming back to Harry Jerome. We catch up to Andre de Grasse as he looks to eventually supplant Usain Bolt as the world's fastest man. And the hawk being raised by eagles. Will it survive? Much more coming up. Squires here with sports and a big running event going on. Well, sprinting. yeah, well, it's actually a full track meet, so you're going to mm-hmm. see a lot of great athletes there. Um, Evan Dunphy, the race walker, will be there tomorrow night. Uh, but Andre de Grasse is the big star. He's in town to run at the Harry Jerome Classic in Coquitlam because of that. The event is sold out, has been for some time. It's not every day you get to see the fastest rising sprinter on the planet. One who should, well, he has stood on the podium alongside Usain Bolt. But Bolt is about to retire. This could be his last year. All things being equal, you would think that our Andre de Grasse should be the man who takes over the lightning quick shoes of Usain Bolt.
One day, in the not-too-distant future, Andre de Grasse will be running in a world without Usain Bolt. Now, Bolt will still be very much alive, he just won't be racing anymore. Which means his title of world's fastest man could go to the grass if he earns it, because it's not going to be anointed. No, I have to go out there and prove it. I have to go out there and, and, and win um, to have that title. Um, you know, I can't go out there and win silver or bronze. Or got to try to go out there and win gold if I want to prove that I am the fastest man in the world. Now, the ideal way would be to beat Usain Bolt at the World Championships in August. And while he couldn't do it in last year's Olympics, the grass has gotten faster since then, and Bolt likely has not. I think it's obvious. Everyone knows that he's, he's slowing down a little bit. Um, you know, he's getting older, but he's still the man to beat. You know, my personal best compared to his personal best that he's running even right now is still far away, far away. So I know I can drop a lot of my times, and you know, we'll see what happens. Earlier this month, the grass ran his fastest 100 meters ever, 9.69 seconds. Mind you, it was wind-aided, but just the same. It came about because of improvements he's been making over the winter and spring. Um, for me, the strength-wise, I've been trying to work on my start this year, um, get stronger in the weight room so I can push out of the blocks. Um, so definitely a lot of strength is involved. Um, technique as well, I've cleaned up a little bit my technique, um, so I'm starting to feel a little bit more up, upright when I run. Um, you know, I'm striking the ground a lot better than I was last year. You know, his, his mechanics are really, really solid. I don't think we need to do a lot of work on his mechanics, especially upright mechanics. He needs to work on his first 40 meters of his race. So on that, we need to get him a lot stronger, a lot more powerful, get him better out of the hole. The first 10 meters needs to be significantly better. And he'll need to keep improving because, as we said, Andre de Grasse is not guaranteed the top of the podium when Usain Bolt retires. When he's gone, it's going to be an even game. You know, I think there's going to be no favorite. So it's up to me and just try to just try to go out there and you know feel like I can be the man. July 1st is a big day in hockey. That's when teams can start going after free agents. Now, most free agents of any value are guys who are in their 30s, and those kind of guys would help teams that are already contenders. Not a team like the Vancouver Canucks. They don't need any more 30-somethings. They have enough already. Although Vancouver will try to re-sign 30-something goalie Ryan Miller. Another name that has popped up in the rumor mill is Nail Yakupov, the former first-round pick, first overall pick, make that, of the Edmonton Oilers. He's young, but he's been a bust in the NHL. St. Louis gave up on him after this season. If he can come cheap, I mean really cheap, maybe he's worth a look. But a lot of teams might be more inclined to offer him a tryout rather than sign him as a free agent. Now, here are some players that are available. This is not the full list. There are many more. Kevin Shattenkirk's a guy everyone, not everyone, but a lot of teams are after. Thornton and Marlowe, yeah, seven, eight years ago, there would have been a rush on them, but they're 37 now. Radulov, if Montreal doesn't sign him again, he'd be popular out there. Carl Alsner's another guy a lot of teams are going to be looking for. And maybe Nick Bonino, the former Canuck, might get some looks. All right, so Toronto tonight at home, Joe Biangini is pitching for the Blue Jays and be a genie and try and hit a home runs. Lined hard, gives up a double field. to Mark Trumbo not hitting as many home runs this year as he was last year but this scores two Jonathan Scope and Adam Jones is safe and then in the third Jones cashes in Scope so that'll make it three nothing for the O's. Jays have a chance so in the six. Bases are loaded. Kendris Morales is at the plate. There are two out, mind you. And now there are three out. Strikeout. 
Eighth inning, still 3-0 Baltimore over Toronto. Hey, look at this guy. Jake the Diamond Dog. Works the minor leagues, delivers water. He also works as a bat boy sometimes. This is him helping out the uh, Fort Wayne Tin Caps. He used to be the San Diego chicken that traveled around baseball and wild the fans. Now it's Jake the Diamond Dog. Dog. Giving a little something for the umpire? Was that the umpire? That was the umpire. Taking care of them, too. He's he's an equal opportunity water deliverer. There you go. (laughs) Thanks very much, Squire. Here's Andrew now with a preview of Global News at 11. And... Thanks, Chris. The deadline isn't until tomorrow, but already residents of the 10-year tent city are packing up and moving out. A march on the streets of downtown Vancouver is taking place this hour as they move to a new location. We'll have all the details later tonight. And a special meeting at Pitt Meadows Council tonight over the expansion of a controversial business park. Debate over the Golden Ears Business Park has become heated, with the mayor tossing several people from a public meeting earlier this month. We'll have more on the fate of the expansion and whether it will be closer to approval when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris. All right, and thanks very much. A hawk learning to soar with the eagles when even experts didn't think it was possible. That's coming up right after a break. Coming up on ET Canada, uh-oh, what John McEnroe said to rile up the fans of Serena Williams, plus the inspiration behind Haley Steinfeld's new girl anthem and how a real-life coma inspired the new comedy, The Big Sick. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. Thank you very much, Roz. An update tonight on a fascinating wildlife mystery on Vancouver Island that has even the experts perplexed. A young red-tailed hawk being raised by eagles has taken its first short flights. Remarkable, considering many predicted it wouldn't live this long. Nitu Garcha reports. You can see that there's one, two, and a third eagle behind the hawk. Eagles adopting a baby hawk? What? Very uncommon. That alone raises eyebrows because eagles are known to eat the smaller, weaker bird, not feed and house it. That's why this nest in Sydney has attracted attention from all over. Seeing an eagle's nest is pretty cool and bald eagles, I don't have them at home, but to see the hawk and sharing a nest, it's pretty amazing. And now what experts have called a rare sight is fostering further fascination. This hawk is going to be fed by its parents longer than it might have been by its natural parents. It's been a month since this baby red-tailed hawk was first spotted here. It's not only still alive, it's taken flight. Only to come back to this nest, it still calls home. Not expecting the hawk to have returned after I learned that it uh, had already fled the nest, but it was pretty cool to see. It really is truly a miracle. It's an outcome experts didn't think possible, especially because at one point there were two hawks. The other is believed to have died. This bird has beaten all the odds so far, and now we have to see if it's going to beat the natural odds of survival in its first year. Bird experts are having a hard time figuring out how the hawk got here in the first place, and the question of what will likely happen next also has many scratching their heads. If it thinks its parents are eagles, is it going to approach other eagles? Will it try and eat fish? Will it find enough to eat? He's done very well in the nest, but out in the real world, we, we just don't know. And as the drama continues to unfold, this mixed family will likely remain the talk of the town. We all want that little tiny hawk to survive. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Sydney. Got some attitude up there in the nest. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'll keep Need to on that one. Make sure mm. we keep an eye on the hawk. I, I don't know. I feed the neighbor kids when they <laughs> come over. You know? you know what? And we said Tarzan was raised by apes. 
No, yeah. I, <laughs> I actually story. don't think yeah. he actually knows that it's a hawk. He just thinks he's yeah. a bit different, smaller. Yeah. I get, I get these two good-looking eagle kids, this other kid, I don't yeah. know what the deal is. But, you know yeah, but he's mine, so yeah. whatever. Exactly. Right. Here you See? go. Here's some food. Hey, love is love, right? That's right. Even in the animal kingdom. Yeah. Uh, last word on weather before we go on a beautiful evening. Sure. Enjoy the week. It really is going to be spectacular. Come the weekend, at this point, no rain in the forecast, but do anticipate more cloud cover. Canada Day looking great, though. 22 degrees near the water. That will be very comfortable. Mm-hmm. We hope everybody...